Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode five of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. On tonight's show, the authors of the book Shrink Wrap, three psychiatrists explain their work. Also, the Shrink Wrap blog. Very excited. They're going to be coming on the show in a little bit. Also, some updates from this past week. And uh, we're just going to have a good time tonight. So, uh, all that and a lot more coming up <laughs> on the Family Medicine Rocks podcast starting right now. Hi, this is Kevin Bernstein, MD Student 31 on Twitter, and I listen to Family Medicine Rocks with Mike Sevilla. about medicine and social media. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. I'm your host. My name is Mike Savella, family physician and social media enthusiast. What is this show about? Well, I wonder that sometimes myself. But I describe it as social media through the eyes of a family physician. I encourage you to check out the website at familymedicinerocks.com. You can also join us on Twitter. Shout out to all 5,980 people on Twitter who are following me. I don't know why. I really appreciate it. Also, shout out to all 132 people who are fans of the Facebook page or follow the Facebook page, however they do that now. You can also listen in real time to the show on your iPhone, Droid, BlackBerry, Windows 7, whatever your mobile device is. Just direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash famedrocks. Today is Thursday, April 14, 2011. It is 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And temperature here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters is 62 degrees Fahrenheit. So I hope you're all having a good week so far. And uh, for me this week, uh, you know, I admit I'm just having a little bit of burnout. I haven't posted as much or done a lot of tweeting or Facebook and stuff. It's just been a busy week at work. Tomorrow I'll be uh, traveling to the state capital of uh, Columbus, Ohio. I'll be uh, speaking at the 7th Annual Ohio Health Hospital System Capital City Sports Medicine Symposium. I'll be talking about what else? Medicine and social media, so I'll be down down there around noon tomorrow. Very excited about that. Coming up on this show here, just in a few minutes, the authors of uh, the upcoming book, Shrink Wrap, three psychiatrists explain their work. Doctors Dinah Miller and Hanson and Stephen Roy Davis will be coming up in a little bit here. You can already pre-order their book on Amazon.com. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, they're going to be going on a real show on uh, May 3rd. Uh, I saw on their Shrugrat blog today that uh, they'll be on National Public Radio, the Talk of the Nation, on May 3rd. So I get to ask them all of the difficult questions here. (laughs) 
<laughs> this evening. Uh, and uh, I'm just reading from their uh, literature here. So it's it's finally a book that explains everything you have ever wanted to know about psychiatry. And uh, they also have a uh, Facebook page for the book. And uh, I encourage you to uh, check that out um, as well. And uh, Diana Miller, MD, a psychiatrist and writer, is in private practice and is a consulting psychiatrist for the Johns Hopkins Hospital Community Psychiatry Program. And Hanson, MD, is a forensic psychiatrist with appointments at the University of Maryland and Johns Hopkins Hospital. And Stephen Roy Davis, MD, also uh, on the faculty at the University of Maryland, is a hospital-based psychiatrist and medical informatician. Whatever that means. No, it's informatics. It's cool stuff. I like it. Uh, it's chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the Baltimore Washington Medical Center. And uh, actually, they were on this show right when this show was starting, when it was the Dr. Anonymous show, all the way back to show number nine. I know that was back, uh, uh, I have it in my notes here, October 18, uh, 2007, way back and. Uh, I have this clip here, and uh, it's about three or four minutes. Uh, I thought it was kind of fun trying to look back a little bit, so uh, let me play this clip here for you. Way back in 2007, they were talking. I was asking about their uh, blog, and about at the time was a new podcast that they were doing. How was the uh, the, how was the blog? I mean, I I guess you've already started in on this already. How was a blog different than a podcast, as far as you know, discussion and and uh, bringing up topics and uh, interacting? with the three of you and, and interacting with readers and listeners. Yeah, well, it, it, it's interesting. Between the three of us, sometimes there's not a lot of difference. I mean, on more than one occasion on a Friday night, I'll put a comment up on the blog only to realize that Dinah and Roy are already there and they're commenting too. <laughs> so Which says a lot about our social life. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think I think that the, the the blog allows for interaction between people who follow the blog. I mean, it's hard for people to interact on a podcast unless you do a live show like you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we have a lot more blog uh, uh, podcast listeners than mm-hmm. well, I'm not sure, but than, than we have uh, uh, blog readers. That's my impression because we have probably right now we we have about twelve thousand podcast downloads per month. Um, and as far as unique visitors go uh, for the for the blog, I think it's something like for, for a month is about 7,000. But I don't know how to equate, well, how many podcasts does a unique visitor listen to? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, are, are you able to tell, uh, um, I guess, the impact of, of placing um, the podcast on iTunes as far as that vehicle to get the podcast out to people? Oh yeah, that's huge. Um, the uh, I- iTunes is clearly the number one, in my viewpoint, um, aggregator because it's just so accessible to many people. And that's it's, it's you have very, very easy to use. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately for us, I mean, in the um, you have to know kind of how to navigate it because you go to the pod, the main page, and you have to go to the podcast section, and then you have to click on science and medicine, and then you have to click on medicine to get to all the good medical podcasts, and but we have been in the like top slot there as far as a featured podcast for I don't know probably the past three months now. It's been quite a while, yeah. And, and we're usually in the top um, fifth 
10, uh, 15 or so of the medical podcast, which is really interesting to see that what we have to say is... is Above the lancet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a, it's a very unique um, uh, a podcast as far as it... Uh, not only from a medical standpoint, but from from the area of a podcast, a lot of podcasts are solo, and I think this is a good a three is a good group to uh, to to have a, a good interaction and and discussion and fighting and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I I think it's worked worked out real well for you. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a, a really good forum, this uh, radio talk show too that you you got going here. You've been doing this for I guess what over a month now and. Uh, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what kind of traffic you're getting. I one just in the listeners, which is obviously going to be lower, but I know that these are recorded and people can download them later. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. The, 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 these are uh, downloaded and and uh, this is uh, available on iTunes as well. Um, but I, I, I did try a, a, a solo type podcast uh, on a, on a few occasions. Um, and it was, uh, I, I just, I didn't like the whole editing process and, um, mm. that, that just, that just took, uh, I just didn't have a lot of patience for, it. I just wanted to, to record it and get it out there. And, uh, it, it was tough for me to do that. And, and I know, uh, Roy, you and I have talked about that too, about, about recording the podcast and then getting it ready for distribution can, can be a while, especially, you know, with doing work and work gets, gets in the way of blogging and podcasting sometimes. Yeah, isn't that funny how that works? Uh, you know, we should just be able to do the blog, blogging and podcasting without all that work getting in the way. It's pesky stuff. Uh, so, yeah, so that was a little flashback there. So that's a little taste of what's going to be coming up in a little bit here. But first, I would like to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show here again here this evening on the front page. And uh, I've been a, a social media hobbyist since uh, 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a... Uh, family physician here in full-time private practice here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. We had a great day here today. And if you're listening live, you can uh, see my smiling face here on the webcam here this evening. If you're in the chat room here right now, you just go to the top of the chat room and uh, hit the uh, webcam icon. You can see me do the show uh, right before your eyes. I know it could be scary, so I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, and a big uh, shout-out to the people in our chat room here. So uh, big shout-out to our guests. And uh, if people... Uh, uh, if the guests uh, register here at Blog Talk Radio, uh, you'll be able to chat in there, type in there, and make fun of me uh, like everyone else will during the course of the show. Uh, so I think I've exhausted my opening uh, segment here, so I will take my break. And after the break here, we will have the doctors from the Shrink Wrap book. You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast in partnership with the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can get there by going to fmec.net. And also a member of the ProMed Network, a podcast you can get there by going to promednetwork.com. And we'll be right back.
That's right. Social media through the eyes of a family physician. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on blogtalkradio.com. And uh, on the line we have uh, with us right now, very excited, the uh, Shrink Wrap Docs. (laughs) Donna and Ann and Steve, welcome to the show there, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Mike, this is Steve. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Everybody sounds great. <laughs> oh, that's so nice of you to say. Uh, so I'm very excited about this book. I, I saw this uh, on the uh, – I saw your Facebook page, and, uh, you know, I know Steve is the, the geek of the group and uh, has probably been working on that a little bit. Uh, let me start with Steve as far as uh, – tell me about – I kind of know the, the little bit origins of the book, but uh, it's probably a leap from the uh, uh, from the blog to the book. And and uh, Steve, why don't you just uh, tell me just kind of how the idea for the book got started? Oh, sure, um, Mike. I, I, first of all, I got to say um, your your radio voice is really fantastic. <laughs> um, our uh, our blog, you know, has been going on since two thousand and six. So it's about five years. In fact, I think next week is Monday. Our, yeah, Monday is our five-year blog anniversary, um, and uh, about oh, I don't know. I think it was two and a half years ago or so. I'm sure Dinah will correct me. Um, she got this crazy idea that she wanted to write a book, and we had all these blog posts, and all we had to do was take all the blog posts and put them into the form of a book, and we would have a book really quickly, really easily, no problem. It didn't quite turn out that way. It was a lot more work. Uh, and I'll, we, You'll hear more about that probably, but um, uh, we did find a – she shopped around to a number of uh, publishers and eventually settled on um, Johns Hopkins University Press. Um, all the publishers were, were of course, um, trying to uh, negotiate the best deal with us, um, that's a bit of uh, a stretch, maybe. And um, we expect to have it out uh, end of May. Oh, end of May. Okay. Yeah, it was April, and we just heard uh, last week that um, there's uh, it's they moved it up a month, so it looks like it's the end of May is when we're expecting it to come out. Oh, okay, okay. So, Do you want so to say Anne, why so, that is, so you, Steve? Oh, go ahead. I have no idea why it is. I assume it's some sort of pop. I think it's all because of the um, uh, the earthquake and the tsunami that slowed all the global commerce down. No, that, that's probably reasonable there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have um, no idea. I think Diane is probably hinting that it took me longer than expected to finish the index. <laughs> you did a You you finished it on time. But you kept sending me these notes about how your computer had exploded, um, or it had, the hard drive had erased. And I didn't quite understand like I, I mean I knew you were distressed about this, but at some point I realized that part of the index was on the computer that had exploded, which meant that when I had thought you had sent it in to the publisher that hadn't actually happened. Um, and, in fact, I realized that when the publisher sent me an email saying, um, you know, Steve hasn't sent us the index yet. Um, so that was, I think, the, the related by a week or so. Well, thank goodness for um, uh, for my mobile me account because I had it on there, but although I didn't have the most recent version, so I had to go in and um, 
redo some work. But it was um, a uh, very job interesting. On it. Oh, thank you. It was an interesting thing to do to go through 250 pages or so and come up with an index. But um, uh, I like kind of detailed work, and I had a good time doing it. I have to say, looking at that index, I was just sort of amazed that we actually covered as many topics as we did. Um, but so, so if I heard right, so, so was it Anne that had kind of the the publisher connections or familiarity a little bit of, about how it is in in publishing? Can can you tell me a little bit about that? How that went? Well, two two of us had had sort of connections with the Hopkins, having trained at Hopkins, so we had some affiliation with the, the press there from that. And Dinah knew about publishing because she had a previous book that was published, so she had some practical experience to, to back up our contact. Ah, okay. 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 Um and uh, for for uh, for somebody who knows nothing about your blog or nothing about the book, um, how would you how would you describe it? Let me let me pick on Dinah next. Okay. Um, well, let's see. So the blog was my idea, um, and I'm not the Anna and Steve are really kind of the geeks in my life, and so I decided I wanted a blog. And I'll, I'll tell you the 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 background of this is that I'm a very frustrated novelist. So the book I'd had published before was by a small independent press, one with a novel, and then I have a bunch of um, novels on my hard drive that I've not been able to get published, and so um, somewhere I I took all that energy and channeled it into I want a blog. The only problem was I didn't know what a blog was. So somehow I bothered poor Steve and Ann to help me figure out this blog thing. And I started figuring it out, but they both sort of grumbled, oh, I'll help you. And by a week later, Steve was saying, this is fun. Thanks for including me. Um, and then he was, and Ann was calling me saying, who's this guy who speaks HTML? I didn't even know that was a language. Um, and so we started the blog. And then Steve wanted a podcast, and I didn't even know what a podcast was. But I figured he'd been nice about the blog, so whatever this podcast thing was, I should show up. Um, and I think we—I I thought the blog would be um, a place for psychiatrists to have kind of intellectual discussion about their work. But as we started posting, we had a lot of—we had psychiatrists come in, but we also had a lot of patients come in, or a lot of people from the general public, and a lot of people who are not particularly fond of psychiatrists or psychiatry or feel disenchanted. And so somewhere in there we became kind of good at talking about what we do. I'm not sure we particularly swayed anybody who was disenchanted into the wonders of psychiatry, but um, we became, I mean, I think some people would have gotten discouraged. Like you say something and somebody comes in and tells you why you're all wrong, um, and it can be a bit demoralizing, but we didn't get demoralized. We sort of got energized by it. Um, and I'd find myself, I'd read a comment that would sort of stir me up, and I'd find myself thinking about it all day before I went and answered it so that the same person could come back and tell me why I was wrong. And I started to feel like we were pretty good at this. So uh, having funneled all my book novel energy into this, I decided we should write a book. Um, and I did have this funny idea that it was like almost written and uh Oh, and then when we started working on it and, you know, had meetings with our editor who would say things like, your book's just not working, um, we realized we, we really We had, had it, it almost written, and then we had it almost rewritten again, and then we had it almost rewritten a third time, and <laughs> eventually it stuck. 
Yeah, I think we were all sort of happy with the the final product, but uh, I think it's rambled enough. What else can we tell you, Mike? Well, what what was it all like? So, did you draw from the the blog at all, or was it all just kind of fresh writing from nothing, or what was kind of? I'm curious about the process of the creation of the book itself. Well, I'll tell you that our our book proposal um, was 52 pages long. So um, some of it was drawn from the blog, and some of that stuff did get used. And, and there were pieces of blog posts that did get, you know, get turned into book material. But I think the outline of it um, was was fairly fresh. Um, I'll tell you that the blog has a whole playful element. We talk about ducks. We talk about chocolate. Anne draws pictures of herself as a nun. Uh, we talk about support animals, and, the, and actually, I think we did talk about support animals in the in the book. Um, but no nuns and no chocolate, and um, and they don't know about ducks. Um, but <laughs> we couldn't, it became, get a it became duck a more serious endeavor. You know, John Hopkins Press. It's, it's I think it's the country's oldest academic press. It's a fairly serious place. They have had to put up with a lot from us. Uh, we wanted a duck on the cover. They originally said no, then they came back and said yes, and they sent us a picture. I said it was the wrong duck. We had all these back and forths, and finally some senior editor sent me a letter, you know, dear Dr. Miller, I'm sorry to tell you, but there's not going to be a duck on your cover. <laughs> so um, they, they've, they've put up with a lot from us. They've actually been really, I, I couldn't imagine a, a more positive experience with a publisher. I mean, you know, there's three of us, and, and because it's in town and local, we would sometimes meet there, and we would sit and scream at each other in our poor editor's office. And, um, oh, our editor is a saint. She's a saint. I, I told um, Jackie, our editor, that... Um, she was a good. Her job for us was a, as a group therapist, and she did a great job. Well, and, <laughs> wow. and now we have the poor publicist who, you know, who um, hears from us. I think we slowed down, but for a while it was numerous times. I mean, it's not one. It's it's not three times as much work with three authors. It was about nine times as much work, I think. Well, it was we were all sort of good at different things, and we complemented each other well. So you generated content, and I sort of organized and edited, and Steve sort of kept track of things and you know did the detail stuff, and it worked out pretty well. I want to say there was not one single drop of blood, the, and the bruises—they <laughs> all—they all faded within a few days. That's right. That's true. There, there was there was no blood. Now the nice. You know, what we've done um, before with the blog, we each kind of just kind of do our own thing. There's no schedule. Um, there's not, doesn't really require a lot of interaction. Sometimes we'll post right, you know, right after the other. Sometimes there may be some time uh, a week or two between posts. Uh, with the book, um, it required a whole lot more um, interaction, integration, discussion, and really kind of negotiation because, you know, three people trying to decide whether or not they feel like there's too many commas in that sentence is kind of interesting. And you're also covering an entire profession from beginning to end. I mean, it was, it, when I saw the first outline of our book proposal, I kind of thought, wait, we're covering all that? Uh, so I, think, me, uh... I think ultimately we did a good job, I hope we did a good job of covering 
a lot of material. It's not, none of it is in phenomenal depth. So it's really it's not it's not geared for psychiatrists. We explain what psychiatrists do, and psychiatrists know what psychiatrists do. But a lot of people don't seem to know what psychiatrists do. Um, and I have all sorts of ideas. And, and the New York Times these days doesn't help out with that process. And I think that's right. what um, is behind the the question for our national public radio interview on Talk of the Nation um, in a couple of weeks. That's on May the third. And it's either at two o'clock or three o'clock. I'm not I'm not really sure. I thought it was three, but either to three o'clock show up. Yeah, but in Baltimore, Talk of the Nation is on at two o'clock, so maybe it's not a live show, and it's from the. I, I don't know. We got to we got to make sure that we we get this it's right. Three o'clock, we show up sure on time. But one of the questions that was um, asked of us, it sounds like the main question is, uh, what happens in a psychiatrist's office? Um, and I think there's an interest in trying to find out um, exactly that. Is there some mystery to it? Um, what psychiatrists do and what you talk about. There's not an audience in a psychiatrist's office, so unless you're actually there and you've never been to one, um, I can imagine that there would be a, a lot of kind of mystery and intrigue about what do you talk about. In, in the media, you know, movies, TV shows, that series in treatment, uh, I don't know how much it helps or hurts. Well, there, there's a lot, yeah. Just like you said, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of uh, stereotypes out there. There's a lot of portrayals in television um, and movies and things. Um, so when they ask you that question, you know what? You know, and, and from what I hear, you know, this book is framed for somebody who's not in medicine, who's not a physician, who's not a psychiatrist. So when they ask you, well, what happens uh, during a, you know, um, outpatient psychiatrist appointment in their office. What what are you going to say? Which one of us do you want to ask that to? Well, I well I figured somebody will start and then and people will jump in. <laughs> if the right with us is that all three of us will talk at once. Yeah, well, I could I could jump in with how it's how it's worked out for me. I've had situations where I've consulted with lawyers about cases and. You know, in the context of preparing for testimony, I've had a, a lawyer ask, well, what does it mean to say that somebody has X, Y, or Z diagnosis? Or what does it mean when they say the doctor decided to prescribe this medication or that, not that medication? And I find myself thinking, oh, wow, we covered that in Chapter X. <laughs> so it, it's not even just non-health professionals. It's, it's people who deal with mental illness in a context of many different careers. And actually, the book is kind of geared, I mean, it's geared towards everybody but psychiatrists. So it is geared, I think it is something that would be helpful, say, to a primary care doctor who treats psychiatric patients but doesn't, isn't a psychiatrist. Um, and my guess is a lot of what happens in a psychiatrist's office is not that much different than what happens in a family practice doctor's office, but maybe you could help us with that. In fact, yeah, I wanted to well, hear from Mike about what it was like to, because I'm sure... In, 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 we're in Baltimore area, and I'm sure that um, it's similar in Ohio where family practitioners and primary care docs treat the lion's share of psychiatric conditions in part because it can be challenging to find a psychiatrist who you know, can see somebody um, promptly and so forth. So 
Mike, any, uh, what's your experience with uh, managing these types of uh, problems? Um, well, yeah, I mean, we, we we could talk about that in a little bit. I'm just I, I'm I'm just really curious about about the actual content of the book, and it it sounds like that you've been kind of talking around it, and you know, I would help to want to try to help promote the book, and it, it seems like, you know, I I'm curious to see what happens <laughs> in an office. I mean, I I, I want to. You know, and I want to talk about one of the other questions in, in your in your uh, promotions is that uh, you, know, uh, you know what happens uh, on a on a psychiatric unit in a hospital. Um, but you know, to talk about me, I mean, we could do that. I mean, I uh, you know, I, I we have in this county we have two psychiatrists in this whole county. Um, we're kind of semi-rural, semi-suburban, um, and primary care does the bulk of mental health treatments. Um, in this county, we have no inpatient uh, psychiatric beds in this county. Uh, so if somebody ends up in the ER and they have to be transferred to an inpatient psychiatric unit, they have to be transferred outside the county, um, which is a big deal. Uh, so from a primary care standpoint, um, you know, we, we see a lot. I treat it every day. Um, I probably maybe shouldn't be treating the stuff I should be treating, but there is a need here in this county uh, for that, um, and we just don't have not only – psychiatrist coverage, but a lot of specialty coverage when it comes to cardiac care or pulmonary or GI or that type of thing. Uh, so, so you're right, Steve. I mean, the the, uh, the primary care docs here, you know, do have to absorb a lot of, you know, specialist specialty type care, and it gets very challenging sometimes. Well, this is, that's interesting that you say that because especially the comment about, well, maybe I shouldn't be treating this because I've heard um, uh, discussions or writings about well, you know, depression is appropriate for primary care doctors to to manage, but bipolar disorder is more complicated, and they should stay stay away from it. Or schizophrenia, for example. Um, but the problem is that you know, okay, that's all nice in a perfect world where there's plenty of psychiatrists to to manage everything. Um, but in the real world, I find that um, a lot of primary care doctors do manage bipolar disorder, um, and you know, one of the big kind of um, faux pas, I, I guess, clinical faux pas, um, is to um, kind of willy-nilly prescribe an antidepressant to somebody with a history of bipolar disorder or manic depression uh, because the medication itself can contribute to uh, a manic episode. Um, frankly, um, the docs I see around here are pretty good um, at, at managing things, these things, and they tend to know what they're doing. Uh, you know, there, there's the lore that primary care docs can't manage psychiatric problems, but I think because of necessity, um, they've gotten fairly good at it. So I'm going to go I mean, back to your question about if, if it's okay about what's in the book. Do you want me to do that or you want to address some of the stuff he brought up? Uh, no, I mean, that was, you know, I, I, I mean, I did want to talk about, you know, what I see here as far as, you know, from, you know, a mental illness, mental health type of standpoint. And, uh, you know, that was a good discussion point. I mean, we can we can go back to the book because I'm I'm really curious and I'm really excited about it because I I've been reading all the promotional things and, and uh, I'm just I'm curious about about the book. Okay, so um, I'll tell you, we, we have the book broken into, I think, 11 chapters. Um, and they're all fairly short. We um, we found the material to be kind of dry, so we put fictional people in that we walk through problems. And the first chapter is um, called Getting Help and really talks about what are the different types of 
health, mental health professionals. Uh, the book has a strong forensics um, uh, emphasis, which I think is unusual for a book like this. But one third of our team is a forensic psychiatrist, so we got we got that added. And um, and you know, Anne's stuff is just fascinating stuff. Um, we do have a section called specifically when should a patient see psychiatrist rather than a primary care doc, and we try to give some guidelines on that. And it's good Steve said that, you know, the primary care docs do a great job on bipolar disorder because I think I said bipolar disorder was a reason to at least have a psychiatrist involved at some point. Um, we talk about when should a patient see a psychiatrist versus a therapist or a social worker or a psychologist for psychotherapy, and is this entity that we call split therapy, is it better or worse, or when is it better or worse? And that kind of takes care of our first chapter, and I'm not going to do that for every chapter because it'll drive me nuts. Um, our second chapter is a walk through the system, and we talk about what happens in an evaluation, what's a chemical imbalance, how do psychiatric diagnoses get determined, and a little bit about um, commitment to an inpatient psychiatric unit. Um, from there, we talk a little about um, what are the reasons people seek care. And you might think that would be a, sh a nice short answer, oh, for mental illnesses or because they have problems. But it's actually a pretty long chapter. And when we tried breaking down why people go see a psychiatrist, well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, and we use a whole family as our people to walk through. And they all have their own sort of subplots in there that we had fun playing with. Um, we do a, ch a chapter on psychotherapy. Um, we do another chapter on medications and how medications are classified, how they're chosen, what's informed consent, um, how doctors dose the medications, and what happens when they don't work. And we used in that chapter Steve's extremely popular blog post called Why Psychiatrists Don't Like Xanax, and that's pretty much listed. Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember um, that blog post. <laughs> well, it's gotten. A tr I think it's gotten something like 90 comments on it. And you know, we're not the New York Times well blog, so 90 comments for us is a lot of comments. Um, we then do a chapter on one, when things go wrong, and we don't mean things like when somebody has side effects to medicines. We mean when the care when 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 care is a mess. And I'll tell you, this was a little hard to. Right, because we talk about boundary violations, we talk about therapists who exploit patients, we talk about side effects and adverse reactions from medicines and um, inappropriate psychotherapy. And uh, this took a little out of us writing this. Um, and then did two chapters on forensic psychiatry, one on civil issues such as healthcare proxies and advanced directives and medical decision making, um, and another one on for, on um, criminal forensics, so uh, walking a patient through the prison system. Um, and fascinating topics about why criminals confess and interrogations and the insanity defense and um, whether people, what, what's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath and can you treat them? I mean, I have to say I'm places and I hear talks and I say things like, oh, I know that because I read it in my own book. Um, yeah and, yeah. and then finally, Steve does a whole section on hospital-based psychiatry and what happens in okay. our hospital. So what happens in the emergency room? What happens in the inpatient unit? He does some stuff on ECT, restraint, seclusion, forced medications. And I think this is stuff people have. Um, you know, it's 
it's a little dry, but we kind of spiced it up a bit. And I think it's stuff people have in their imaginations have, you know, written stories. You know, shock treatment something they force you to have. And um, and, and so he, we talk a little about that. And, um, and now the last part we talk about the business of psychiatry. Why doesn't your psychiatrist take your insurance? What happens when you miss an appointment? How dare these people charge you? Um, what do psychiatrists do to keep from getting sued? And what are safe environments for violent patients? And, um, well, and, the, and the future of psychiatry. Right. I think that's how we end it. We talk a little about um, uh, things we like to argue about, the controversies. Um, should we use addictive medicines? Should we have medical marijuana? Um, what about complementary and, and alternative treatments? Uh, health care reform and how we allocate care and in the end is, is the future of psychiatry and all that was his section so that's it oh, that's, that's what it. the book is about yeah that's great that's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I mean, because I, I, I didn't know it had all that in there, and and it's uh, uh I, I like how it's all kind of broken down. That was a short version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Um, one of the uh, listeners here, Crazy Girl, is asking about if we talked about PTSD in the book, um, and I think so. What we talked about this um, as we were writing the book about whether we should talk about specific illnesses and go kind of an illness by illness. Um, uh, type of discussion. We decided against that early on, um, and I think we might we refer to trauma um, and okay. um, PTSD a little bit, but we we don't specifically talk about um, PTSD per se. Is my recollection? Does that sound right to you, Donna? Yeah, I mean our characters all had psychiatric disorders, and 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 they were used as the balance, you know. So. The person who we talked about psychotherapy with is somebody who came to treatment for panic disorder. So there's a little talk, but we did not. We thought we thought if you want to read about panic disorder or PTSD, you can buy. It. There are whole books on panic disorder or PTSD, and that to sit and reiterate what the DSM criteria are for the illnesses and the treatments, and um, this would be repetitive of what was in something else. It would take up a phenomenal amount of room. We wouldn't do a comprehensive. So it's not it's not the book to go to when you want to say, hey, um, I have depression, and what are the medications of choice for depression? If you want to go and say, hey, why isn't my psychiatrist taking my insurance, and why am I being sent to a therapist to a social worker for therapy and a psychiatrist for medication, and how is this person taking out these medicines? Um, this is the book for you. But if you want to know what are the criteria for diagnosing depression and what are the options for treatment, go. we'll be happy to recommend other books. And we did that in the suggested reading section. Oh, so, so, so you have like a bibliography or suggested reading at the end? Would you like to hear something awful? Say <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, sure, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so this is a shameless way of doing a bibliography. We went on to our blog and put up a post saying, please tell us what your favorite books about psychiatry are. And we had oh, tons of people write in, and we we uh, we looked at the books they suggested, and we went on Amazon, and we, we didn't read the books, but we, we looked and made sure that they weren't things that we would find objectionable to recommend as psychiatrists. And um, 
we pulled that with what we've read and what we refer to and what our patients have told us. And I thought this is a pretty shameless way of coming up with a suggested reading section. <laughs> no, no, I, I, th- I think that's great. I, I, I think you can tell people that, uh, that that you had your readers and, and, and listeners help you with the book or crowdsource or whatever the buzzword that's is right. now uh, for that. Crowdsourcing. What's the word? Sounds, sounds good. Crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing? Crowdsourcing, yeah. Asking your crowd. You know, it's it's um, this book by, was it Malcolm Gladwell that did the Wisdom of so. Crowds? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if, if you say that on National Public Radio, I mean, they'll love that. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Okay. Well, we did this in several places where we, where there was sort of a well, what do people think of it? I would put a you know put up a blog post about psychotherapy and see what people wrote in. I, this is this is the wonderful thing. You're the social media guy. This is the wonderful thing about social media is instead of sitting and saying, I wonder what people think, you just go right. Hey, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but let me ask Anne. Uh, so, so what was your the, your your favorite part of the the book that you that you're writing, or was it was it a certain topic, or because I know that that you were you, know, you talk a lot about forensics, but was it was there a certain subject or topic within that 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 uh, that, yeah, that I, was I, uh, good for you? Yeah, the, the the chapter that was near and dear to my heart was the the chapter on the correctional psychiatry. So, to explain how different aspects of civil and criminal forensic work happens, I created a fictional character called Eddie, and I made Eddie get into trouble, and I kind of walked him through a criminal prosecution and file an insanity defense, and ultimately he ends up going to prison, so I was able to describe what happens when an inmate comes to a facility and how they get screened for medical and mental health disorders and how they get referred for treatment and, you know, why the doctors in a correctional facility may make different treatment choices than doctors out in free society because the environment can influence the kind of care that you give and the factors you have to weigh when you're prescribing medication for a prisoner. And uh, hopefully it gave people sort of an insight into what it's like inside the walls and the amount of health care that actually happens when someone goes to prison because I think the tendency is to think, you know, you throw someone in jail and they'll just sit there and rot when, in fact, every day, 24-7 around the clock, there's health care going on continuously in every facility in this country that I think a lot of people weren't aware of. So I really enjoyed being able to write about that. So, so, Ann, so what's a what's a myth, or what's something that is in the media that is just not really accurate at all that you wanted to one of the things or that you wanted to try to clear up um, in that section of the book? Uh, the the big myth is that going to prison never helps anybody, and on a weekly basis, it, it's pretty routine that a, a prisoner will say to me, "It's a good thing I got picked up because if I hadn't been arrested, I'd be dead out there." And the people I treat have addictions that are just so severe that they literally can't stop themselves. They have to be picked up and brought in. Um, And it gets a little frustrating sometimes to get somebody in, get them detoxed and cleaned up, get their medical illnesses treated, get their mental illnesses treated, and then release them on the parole only to have them collapse in the streets because they have no insurance, they have no doctor, they have no transportation to get care, and sometimes they don't even have a place to live. So that's something where I, I really would like people to take more of an interest in this and to take a more collaborative response to correctional health care as opposed to standing outside the walls pointing fingers and saying, this is what you're supposed to be doing. We need to have a, a, a more of a team role in this treatment and better transitions between the correctional facility and free society and vice versa. 
So that's what I would like to see happen. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that because I, I know there's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of stuff that I see that, that I would like to get cleared up. Um, uh, but let me ask Steve. So you, so I guess you, you wrote the section on hospital-based care. Um, can you describe a little bit about your section as, as far as how that's outlined there? Oh, uh, sure. So um, in my section we talked about, kind of started with um, uh, what it's like to go to the emergency room um, we talked about, it, it, now some of this we talked about in other sections, but um, uh, in general when we talk about hospital-based psychiatry, we talk about everything from walking into the front door of the hospital to when you leave. So in the emergency room, uh, sometimes people are brought to the emergency room uh, against their will. Uh, in, in Maryland, it's called an emergency petition. Um, in other states, it's called other things. Um, I think in Pennsylvania, it's a 302 or 303. Can't remember, um, and a Baker Act is another thing, term I've heard from. I want to say maybe Florida, and so people are brought to the emergency room sometimes because they've demonstrated uh, some sort of dangerousness, either they threaten to kill themselves or uh, harm other people, and the, and they're demonstrating evidence of some sort of psychiatric problem. They're brought to the emergency room, and um, we talk about the process there because. It's a frustrating process. Uh, I, I've had phone calls from people calling you know, two days later, uh, complaining that hey, I brought my you know my daughter to the emergency room because because she needed some help, and it took 12 hours for her to be seen, and um, and we you know finally left in frustration or something like that. And so explaining kind of the process of, of what happened in the ER. Uh, trying to figure out, you know, what the problem is, what needs to be addressed, the different providers that people might run into in the emergency room, the social worker, emergency room physician, uh, nurse, uh, psychiatrist, um, and also what happens afterwards. So how these decisions are made about, okay, what do you do now? Um, there are times when, um, uh, you know, commonly people agree to if they need to be uh, treated on an inpatient setting because their need is so great, more often than not, um, that's a voluntary process. I think in our hospital, um, you know, it's relatively small and 10, 15 percent of people who might come in on an involuntary basis. So most people are there on a voluntary basis. But we do talk about what happens when it's involuntary and what are the legal protections for people because that sort of thing has been abused in the past. Uh, we talk about what it's like to be on the inpatient unit. Um, what happens on an inpatient unit? What do you do there? Um, do you just sit around all day? You know, most people are familiar with the medical hospital where you could get a bed and maybe you have a roommate, maybe you don't, and you're in bed pretty much the whole time you're in the hospital. Um, and you've got a TV in front of you, and, you know, it's not really, you're not really doing much. Uh, we work pretty hard on the inpatient psychiatric unit, a lot of group therapy, um, individual therapy to some degree, um, but um, a lot of medication management is also something that we talk about. We talk about insurance companies and what sort of impact they have on the whole process. Uh, and then we talk about some of the challenges we have, like trying to find an outpatient program or an outpatient counselor or psychiatrist to follow up with somebody, um, which is sometimes uh, challenging. And finally, I also talk about on the med surge unit. So these are, you know, this is the regular hospital where 
people might go for a heart attack or pneumonia or uh, infection or something like that. And um, I, I'm a, that's what I specialize in, um, in consultation liaison psychiatry, which nowadays they call psychosomatic medicine, which is really um, psychiatric, uh, uh, you know, kind of evaluation of people with medical problems. And so it's not uncommon for somebody to become delirious in the hospital where they suddenly start hallucinating and get confused and, um, and get real agitated. And sometimes it's because of medications, steroids, antidepressants, or antibiotics. Um, and sometimes it's because of their medical problem. And they'll, so I'll get called in. And we talk about what that process is like and, um, um, you know, how we, how we make decisions. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's very challenging because I know that, um, you know, our practice, we, we take care of a lot of nursing home patients, too, and, and sometimes um, I get calls that, you know, they have some kind of episode, they think it's a psychotic episode or something like that, we ship them to the emergency room and it ends up being, you know, like a urinary tract infection and, and it, they need more antibiotics than, you know, mental health medications. Uh, so, so I definitely get what you're saying there as far as um, these uh, symptoms or behavior uh, can manifest from a medical uh, type of cause. Um, so, um, so Steve, in, in your section there, was, was there like a myth or was there like some kind, you know, an inaccuracy that is out there that that you want that you addressed as far as, you know, this is this is not what happens, you know, on you know. Grey's Anatomy or Private Practice, you know, one of those media-type shows, you know, as far as taking care of um, psychiatric patients on an inpatient setting? Um, well, I guess so. one of the things I, um, I talk about is the experience of um, people who develop delirium in a hospital. And uh, some people refer to it as IC, ICU psychosis, um, which is uh, kind of an unfortunate phrase because it, it's something that kind of suggests that if you go to an intensive care unit or an ICU, that um, there's a good chance that you'll develop psycho psychosis or delirium, um, and that may, it does increase your your risk, but it's not the the place that you're in that increases the chance, but more the types of treatment. So somebody who's in intensive care might, um, uh, you know, the lights are on night and day, right, because ICUs are busy places and people are always um, uh, doing stuff. There's always sounds, uh, machines beeping um, and pages overhead and that sort of thing. So I think, people, you know, one of the problems with intensive care is people don't get a lot of sleep. And when you're up for a couple of days in a row, um, that can make people uh, psychotic, um, actually. So I think we address that to some degree um, uh, there and talk about um, kind of the, what it's like and, and some of the issues we have to confront with, um, uh, with, with treating that sort of condition. One of the examples would be antipsychotic medications, uh, which are um, used for the most part to treat this sort of problem with delirium, uh, but... Uh, in older folks, the, there's evidence to show that antipsychotics uh, can increase the risk of heart attack and stroke. So you kind of have to weigh the risks and benefits of these uh, sorts of treatments. 
Um, all right. Um, so so great. I, I and and I know that we discussed it kind of at the beginning of the show. Um, but um, as far as as working with the publisher or your editor, um, and anybody can take this. Was was there a lot of you know rewrites um, involved, or did they? You know, were yeah. they very hands-on or not, or with the whole process? We we developed a rhythm fairly soon on. I, I think the first problem we really had was in, in even just coming up with a voice. Were we going to do it in first person? Were we going to do it in third person? Were we going to have these fictional... I wanted these fictional people. Nobody wanted fictional patients. Uh, Anne and, and Steve both shuddered at them. We started it out and. Um, and very small, and, and the chapters being broken into small segments so that you didn't have to read the whole chapter even. You could just go look for what you wanted. Um, and our publisher looked at this and said, mm, this doesn't work. It needs more continuity. Maybe you should get rid of these broken pieces. So then we threw in these people and, and, and walked each one through a chapter and uh, and had it be continuous to which she said, hmm, maybe it needs to be broken up. By which point I think we were all pulling. Uh, there was one point where I took three days off work and just sat and wrote. Um, wow. And, uh, and it was the fourth. I mean, I think I sort of had some time anyway, but I shuffled some patients. I just made uh, I, By the end, I was just ready to scream. But it was the first four chapters. It was part of our, our original proposal. Um, she just sort of, at one meeting, just said, look, it just doesn't work. Um, so I spent a lot of time just sort of reconfiguring it, emailed it to her, and she just said, oh, much better. Um, and then we went through that process with every single chapter. She'd look at it and say, this isn't good. And by the end, she said, look, <laughs> I know I say this isn't good, and you do something wow. to it, and it's fine. Um, and, and so I, I think, you know, we got a rhythm eventually. I, I think the other piece of the week, should, should we tease Steve about this or should we leave him alone, Anne? What do you think? Oh, I think Steve <laughs> gets teased a lot. He takes it very well. I'm used to it. <laughs> well, so, you know, we started with this sort of idea that we would write, and, and we said, and Steve had a hesitation about writing. But, you know, nobody twisted his arm. He, he said he wanted to do the book. Um we had trouble getting him to write for the for the proposal, but we just pulled this stuff off the blog. And so I guess I should have thought, like, this might be an issue. And he did say to me, you know, for me, deadlines are a kind of fluid thing. Um, so we go to write, and he doesn't write. And Anne and I get this great rhythm where one of us writes the chapter and the other one edits it and bounces it back, and we sort of go, but we need his input because uh, he has a whole area of expertise that neither of us, neither of us deal with inpatients, neither of us have worked in an emergency room since we were residents and a million years ago. Neither of us has worked on an inpatient unit in many years, um, and nobody does consultation liaisons. Psychiatry. So we we ended up sort of repositioning the book so that he was in his own place, so that at least we could get everything. And and there became all this tension about would Steve write and would Dinah kill Steve? That was its own sort of you know <laughs> who was on which side and would we be friends? And, and I'm promising Dinah I'll hold a cell for her somewhere. Oh you yeah, know, yeah. Was, I would imagine that would have been tough for you. Um, uh, and because then you would have had to put on your, uh, your your forensic hat and decide that maybe she needs to be put into the hospital against her will. That's right. Well, we, we worked on that one. But, you know, the seclusion room was, was full, so they didn't feel like they could keep me. And 
Uh, so I, we had this whole sort of 10, and sort of at the 11th hour, Steve wrote. He kept telling me, I will write, but, you know, at one point we'd say, he'd say, I'll write it by March 30th. And I said, that's fine, that'll work. Well, March 30th, 2009 passed. March 30th, 2010 passed. Uh, really, really. Uh, I think at one point Ann was getting pretty nervous about whether or not he'd write. And, um it somehow fell into place. I think I helped with this fictional character because the fictional people, nobody else likes them but me. But I think in the end, they helped make it more readable and they, they drew it together. And then Anne got sort of attached to hers. Dinah has what a post. Um, Dinah has a post uh, recently that she wrote that said something like, um, Roy is driving me crazy or something like that. Uh, I, I guess... <laughs> That's a badge of honor. What can I say? That's right. It was a badge um. of honor. I mean, but, you know, all the screaming, all the, you know, I mean, we had whole, we could spend a half an hour on a comma, much less, you know, how we're going to write a whole book and get it to fall together. Um, I think one of my teenagers, we were at one point, you know, my teenagers are always telling me, oh, you talk too much, you know, and, and at one point, they wa- somebody walked into our family room, and Anne, who's usually so mild-mannered, was screaming at me, just let me talk. And it was my face. <laughs> he had this we look do on the I have never been so vindicated in my life. See, everybody else <laughs> wants you to shut up, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and I know you guys get asked a lot this about this a lot, it will probably ask you on National Public Radio, and and uh, uh, but um, you know, and, and I know you they, you talked about it last time you're on the show, but uh, how, how did all of you get together, and how do you guys know each other, and and uh, how did how did kind of all that happen? I was going to let somebody else answer, but no, okay. Well, I'll, I could I could start. I, I actually. When uh, when a classmate of mine found out that I had matched at, at Hopkins for residence, she, she said, oh, you have to look out for a friend of mine. And she mentioned Dinah's name. And, you know, in retrospect, it's sort of interesting that she said, look out for Dinah, not watch for her, just look out for her. <laughs> <laughs> and then we met during our second year of residency and uh, – I did our time there together, and uh, that's that's how we've been hanging around for what twenty years now, something like that. Wow. Yes, Steve. Do you remember how you met us? Did we lose Steve? Did we lose Steve? Oh, sorry, I muted, and then I forgot that I muted, so I'm like talking. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he was laughing in the background. Yeah, Eddie was Eddie was barking, so I had to try to turn him off. Um, how did we meet? Oh, well, I met Dinah when um, she was working at a community mental health center, and she was the medical director there. In fact, it was a mental health center or clinic that was very similar to the one described in her uh, novel, Monday at the Charm. And... Um, so I worked there, I, I don't know, I think it was probably like four hours a week or something like that. Um, and so that's where I met her. Uh, and then um, I met Anne um, after we started the whole blog thing. Yeah, I, I think wow. I didn't, you know, the, the psychiatric community in Maryland is, is 
don't know if it's small. I mean, there are like 800 psychiatrists in the state of Maryland. No, maybe there are more. How many do you know, Steve? There are a lot of psychiatrists in Maryland, but I sort of just assumed everybody knew everybody. And when Ann called and said, who's this guy who speaks HTML? Um, and then Steve called and said, let's, let's meet in person. I want to meet Ann. Um, so we, we started, and then with the whole podcast, that was something we do in person. Um, but I, I didn't yeah. quite realize that they didn't know each other. So Yeah, it worked um, out really well because we had complementary techno skills, so we could go in at various times and tweak the code behind our blog template and do all kinds of good geek stuff like that. I in tweak fact, the, the code the, all the time. Oy. The latest... The latest geek thing that that um, that I recall doing for the blog was uh, uh, changing the look of our uh, blog so that instead of the usual uh, images that a blogger gives you, we put a duck up there because they wouldn't Ooh. let us have a duck on, in the book. They thought somehow they thought having a duck <laughs> on the spine, and this was the agreement. Right. The agreement was we would have a duck on the spine, and then at the last minute, sorry, the big Bosses here won't let us have a duck. Somehow they think it's unprofessional. Well, not so, only did they think it was unprofessional, they thought it made us look like quacks. <laughs> I kept trying to say, well, Penguin Putnam has a penguin. Just put a little duck. <laughs> so now we have a duck in a prominent place on the block. Oh, man. I, I remember when the when the podcast was out. I remember seeing the the uh, the setup for the podcast. Um, I we saw the picture. I think maybe you put it on the blog. And it was a fairly geeky. Uh, I was proud of it to see it. A fairly geeky setup with all of the microphones. And I remember when somebody right. is, is probably Steve that wrote about it on the blog about all the microphones and this and that uh, about the podcast. That's uh, when we first got our mixer. Yeah. Yeah, we, we set up the mixer and all the microphones, and we had such a mass of tangled wires that we had to take a picture of it and put it up. I remember that. Well, it's still <laughs> set up from the last time in my dining room, if anybody wants to come podcast. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh. Mike, I am curious. You sound like you have a, a real doctor shortage where you are, especially a, a psychiatrist shortage. How do you have time for Dr. Anonymous and blogs and blog talk radio and blog talk TV radio? Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, yeah. My wife asked me the same thing. They're like, "Why? Why do you do that?" Uh, and I get that question a lot. And uh, yeah, it, it it is it is hard to uh, to to balance it all. I'm in a, a group with four other family docs um, here uh, in in practice here and uh, see hospital patients and go to the nursing home and, and I do all the social media stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's tough to balance all this. Um, but you you're know, a high I mean, energy guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, it's fun. It's fun. And, and, and you guys know too, just with the blog, I mean, the, the, the people that you meet, um, you know, either leaving comments or, or, um, you know, you know, like Sarah Bear in, in their chat room here, uh, would have never met her without, you know, just doing a blog or a podcast and, uh, it's just it's just so much fun uh, doing this. I want to see the chat room. How are you oh, yeah. the chat room? Since you mentioned it, I just wanted to give a shout-out because Sarah Bear has been one of our oldest blog readers since we started five years ago, and here she is giving us support on the Blog Talk Radio. So it's good to see her on behalf of my co-bloggers. Hi, Sarah Bear. Thanks for showing up. 
Yeah, and, and I think she 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 came to my blog just from from reading her blog. So I so I appreciate uh, Sarah Bear as well. I would have never found her unless uh, coming through your blog. So that's very cool. How do I get into this chat room? I want to say hi to Sarah Bear. Okay, so I'm now at uh, I'm now on the it says on air. How do we? Somebody try. Oh, poor Dinah. This this is the usual dynamic. Dinah has something tech she needs to figure out, and Steve and I are on the phone walking her through it. So the the day day she she learned how to put an HTML link in in a blog comment was like such a major victory. (laughs) I'm doing okay. I gotta tell you. Okay, yeah, so yeah. while you're looking for while you're looking for the chat room, and uh, I've, we've teased Steve, and so now I'm going to tease Dinah. So in the early '90s, Dinah has has heard about this internet thing, but she doesn't know what it is and has never seen it. So I bring my laptop over to her house and I plug it in. I say, "Okay, I'll show you what the internet is." And I plug it in and you know dial up my America Online connection, which is the only thing they had back then, and showed it to her. And her response was, "This internet thing is never going to catch on. It's too slow." <laughs> you know, my memory of this event was that I wanted to try email, and Anne and I had a friend in common who was the only person on her email that I knew, but somebody who had trained with us in residency and then moved back into back to Minnesota, where Anne is from. And so I said, "Oh, okay, Bill, you have his email address. Let me send an email to Bill." And at some point, she informs me that she's responding a response from Bill, and the response was that he and his wife and two kids were coming to Baltimore for a week and would like to stay with me. And at the time, I lived in a very small house with two of my own, and it was just sort of like, where are we going to put these people? So what's this Internet thing? You've suddenly got people moving in with you for a week. <laughs> I, was, I think for a while I was a bit scared off. But it was good to see Bill and his wife, and they only stayed a, a day or two. So, so we do we we do um, allow uh, uh, some teasing of Dinah because of her um, uh, technical skills. And one of the things that, that and Sarah Bear mentioned this earlier in the chat room about yeah, I was going to uh, go there the, next. So good. Okay, yeah, about the, the Doctor Phil prank that we pulled on Dinah. Um, Where is it, it, did, did you ever did you ever hear this, Mike? Oh yeah, I, I I I have that podcast like in my iTunes, and I I, I play it every once in a while too to get a laugh. They like so, yeah, so go ahead there, Steve. Yeah, um, so you know this is uh, you know uh, if people are listening later, uh, um, Ann and I had um, conspired that we were going to tell Dinah that we had Dr. Phil. You know, we contacted him, and he was going to be available to be on our podcast as a guest, and we would interview him. Or he would interview us, um, and um, and she. Poor Dinah believes she, them. She bought it, it um, and uh, of course, now what I had was one of these um, sound boards. You know, one of these things where you, you click on a button and it says a pre-canned message that somebody has recorded from, in this case, the Dr. Phil show. Uh, and we, I think, this went on for a good five, seven minutes or so before she started to figure it out. Um, I actually have it queued up. Should I play a little bit of it? Uh, yeah, because I, I, I completely forget how it goes there, Steve, so go yeah, ahead. Yeah. L- let me, let me, uh, this let me is my revenge for that thing about how we didn't write until March 30th. Oh, you, you know I March 30th, 2010. This is my revenge. All right. Here, let me, let me, I'm going to just play it through the uh, speakers, and hopefully the phone will pick it up. Check it out. 
Yeah, we, we were at your place, and I was struggling to contain myself and not doing a very good job. Yeah, it was in your dining room. Right. Okay, well, well, then so obviously. Is, what? So I think this is kind of indicative of like life with three people writing a book or doing a blog. If you ask either of any of us something, you're going to get a completely different answer than than the other person. And Steve doesn't even know where he was. <laughs> I don't actually. <laughs> oh. Um, and this goes on for like 20 minutes, so it's it's, right. it's gold. It's podcast gold right there. Um. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad that um, that Dr. Phil, uh, his corporation never called us and threatened to do something terrible to us. <laughs> uh, so, Steve, so, so tell me about the origins of that. Were you just like sitting around all day saying, hey, I want to download these uh, Dr. Phil phrases and put them on a soundboard or, you know, was it just spontaneous or was it like, was that, it like an April Fool's our, thing? I, for, I forget what happens. Yeah, that was our April Fool's joke. It, it was. It was an April Fool's joke. We were trying to think of what to do. And I came across this Dr. Phil soundboard, which was on, uh, I don't know where, I don't even remember where I found it. I probably linked to it in the show notes. And um, so it's a, you know, a, a graphical board and there are all these buttons and each button has the text of what the button says when you press it. So as Dine is asking Dr. Phil a question, I'm frantically looking at the buttons trying to figure out, well, which button should I press to answer this question? And you could hear me trying to cue up the um, uh, my next question so that it comes close to something that is written on the button. <laughs> and you're trying not to laugh. <laughs> uh, of course, which was which was challenging, but um, uh, the the most of the laughter I think came from came from Anne, and in fact I I um, spliced uh, that whole interview up together and made a um, a song with it from um, the uh, what's the, there's a song for Doctor Who the Doctor the Who Doctor song. Who mashup yeah you did a very yes. nice job on that a very nice mashup with the. Uh, uh, bits from that talk all sprinkled through, um, I think it's uh, uh, KLR, I think is the name of the band, their uh, their song called Dr. Doctor, Doctor Who. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see here. Oh, so uh, let me do this. So I have your number one fan on the line here. Let me uh, bring, I think this is Sarah Bear on the line here. Oh, good. You got Hello, her on Sarah the line. Bear. Excellent. Hi. Sarah Bear, is that you? Yes, that's me. Can you hear me? Wow. Yes, it sounds great. great. Oh, thanks. So, so uh, it's so great exciting. that you're so, attached a voice to the to the. We've known you for what five years. The puns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Sarah, but let, let me ask you. So, um, uh, and uh, to to uh, to embarrass all of them as far as. Um, oh boy. So, what what what, uh, what brought you to their blog, and you know what 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 makes their blog and, and their upcoming book so compelling? What what why uh, why do you like it so much? Why do you like these guys so much? Oh, um, okay. Uh, the um. I, I apologize. I'm nervous. Um, I, I found their blog by uh, my, my blog was fairly new. It was less than six months old at the time, and um, I was looking uh, for other blogs to read, and I wasn't really connected 
through comments or anything to, to very many people. And I was just browsing using the next blog button on top of Blogger that will give you some random blog, and that's how I found them. It just, that next blog, it was like the third or fourth one I tried, and, and that's what came up. So that's how I found them um, within the first month that they'd started it. And um, I, I just there's something compelling about the way that they write and the way the three of them interact. And um, there's, um, it, it, it's just um, a little bit of their personality comes across, and um, I just... It, it, it's just, uh, and it's informational, and um, it addresses topics I'm interested in. Um, it's just, and and they're not afraid to have fun with themselves, or um, uh, it, it just feels like a very friendly place to me. That's why I keep coming back. I just have this, after five years, I have this sense of it as a gathering place, kind of, um, it, it might sound a little corny to say it feels like Cheers, where everybody knows your name, but that's kind of what the blog feels like to me by this point after after five years. Wow. Oh, so nice. That's very sweet. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, that's really that's really a positive vote vote of confidence. And, and in fact, you know, on our uh, podcast, um, which is on iTunes, and we you know we do, we took about a year, a little bit more than a year off on doing our podcast while we were writing the book, um, and we recently started that up again. Um, but um, I think we've got about fifty five or so um, podcasts out there, and we we have almost as many. Um, reviews. We have about 50 reviews, and a lot of the reviews are very similar to what Sarah Bear just uh, mentioned, um, which is kind of surprising uh, in a bit, but I feel good about it at the same time, um, where people say that, um, you know, we're kind of fun to listen to, uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously, um, and they learn a lot of stuff. Um, one, of the, one of the reviews says something like, um, it's, like uh, it, it's, it's like going to medical school Without all the crap. <laughs> you know, and I've never read like those reviews. You know, these people are just screaming at each other. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was nice. That's nice to hear your voice, Sarah. It's there's something um, comforting about having uh, you. You are probably the longest um, commenter who's stuck. And people have kind of come in for a while, um, and while sometimes being two or three years at this point. Um, but at some point, you know, blogging takes over your your. It, it, when you started, it's so obsessive. I have to say, I mean, everybody I met, I just say, I have a blog. This um, is kind of a little bit what I wanted to uh, mention or ask about when when I thought of calling in was um, the relationships that you develop with commenters over the years and the ones who come and maybe comment for a year or two and then go. Like I remember Carrie, uh, she, the, the nurse who had headaches all the time. She's one of the top people I remember. But I don't know if you ever wonder, so what happened to that person or, um, you know, um, how – how it feels to sort of, in a way, get to know your commenters a little bit as they comment over the months or the years. I, I, uh, I, I mean, I, I love it. I think it's, um, it, it, and, and that's one of the things about social media in general is that you can develop a relationship with somebody and kind of learn to know them over time. And, 
and you never speak to them face to face. You never hear their voice, um, but but they have a voice, uh, a way of talking. The things that they talk about over time, and you get to you get to know them in a way. So, it, in like for example, for Carrie, that, that as you were talking about, we have heard from her from time to time through through email. Um, and it is kind of nice to hear someone that you've, you know, been talking to in different levels for four or five years. Um, you know, it, it is a, uh, it's a funny kind of way to have a relationship, but it is enjoyable. I can see the the, the interest in social media because of that. Well, and, you um, know, it's sort of as time goes by, people have, like, painted their, you know, they come in and sniff it, but... I mean, you know, I know you've had some health problems during the course of the time you've been um, logging and, 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 you know, you sort of follow people's lives. At the time, you've, you've disappeared. You've stopped commenting. And after a little bit, it'll suddenly hit me, where's Sarah? And I'll go look for your blog to see where you are. Um, and so it's a, funny, it's a funny kind of interconnected world. Carrie, I think... Um, I think she she went back to school and found I think found that keeping a blog was she worried a bit about who was finding her blog and um, I, I think between her um, her work finding the blog and stuff I remember that yeah she was worried about coworkers finding the blog and she um, is engaged and she's back in school and I think her life just got busy for her but. She is a fan of our, um, or a, a joiner or a friend or whatever, of the Facebook page. So when we put up the, do- the, the Dr. Phil, I think both you and she put push the like button. Not the Dr. Phil, I'm sorry. It's Mike, um, Dr. Anonymous, Family Doc Rocks, um, yeah. Blog Doc Radio on, on this. Right, right, right. Both of you put, press the like button. And so, you know, she's still in our lives. It's, it's, um, Actually, I, I I met her in person a few months ago, and uh, she, oh, she's doing really? well. Um, she she's engaged and she's going through school, and uh, uh, it was great to meet her in person. And uh, and, and I do remember uh, some of the uh, the commenting that took place uh, with that and Sarah Bear, and I I it's I can't believe it's been so long now, but I, I do remember all that, and uh, it's it's fun kind of reminiscing a little bit um, with Sarah Bear on the line here uh, about some of that. Them. Some of the early days. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah. That things are kind of different in the early days of your blog before you have such a huge following. And um, I had also been going to ask, was there anything specific you did to try and grow a following, or did people just find you when it snowballed by itself without any work on your part to try and go out and comment on other people's blogs to get them to come to yours? That's, That's a great job. Early on, um, um, I think there was more of an effort of, oh, we have this cool thing, but nobody's coming. What, how do we get people to listen to or to, you know, come to the blog and read what we have to say? Um, and um, there was probably more of an effort to uh, uh, go out and comment on other people's blogs and so forth. Uh, things that we still try to do some, but frankly for me, I find that I've got so many things going on in my life that... Um, uh, I have a hard time just keeping up with her own blog, let alone other people's. Well, yeah, and, and I, the other thing is we hosted Medical Grand Rounds at one point, which was a big driver for traffic to the blog. Yeah, we, we've done two or three of the Grand Rounds. And, in fact, you know, I think we should probably do another one um, uh, this summer. We've always done something very unique, 
when we've done our grand rounds, the first one we did was a clicky brain where you could click on the frontal lobe or the cerebellum and um, get to a, a topic, a category of, um, of uh, uh, blog posts from grand rounds. The one we did, I think it was two years ago, was around the time that the new iPhone uh, 3G was coming out. Yeah. Oh, maybe it was the original iPhone. I think and it was so, the original iPhone. Yeah. And on, and on the iPhone, of course, there are all these little, um, you know, apps, uh, icons of apps, and we did it so that each icon was um, a, a blog that somebody had um, posted for, you know, sent in for grand rounds, and you could click on it and go right to their piece. So uh, that, that was a lot of fun, and it did. You're right; it generated a lot of uh, traffic. I know some and, and people have sort of become real through their blogs on this. I, I, for a while, I mean, I remember when we first started, Steve told us, this is how you get traffic. And he said, for example, Fat Doctor, she has lots of followers, so you should go on Fat Doctor and make comments. Well, I found myself, like, wrapped up in Fat Doctor's life. I remember her sister had some type of um, bladder surgery, and they were adopting a child, and they were feeding dog biscuits to their older boy. <laughs> and um, I just found, but then, then I found what happens is that you kind of get involved in all these people's lives, and then something happens. So that doctor closed down her blog. I think, Sarah Bear, you've moved your blog to a more private site because your relatives were reading it. And Carrie got kind of overwhelmed and foot cycling for shiny, happy person just disappeared. And at one point, shiny I found happy myself. person was a great writer. Yeah, I found myself at one point worrying about what happened to the NHS blog. John Crippen, he just disappeared. And I thought, you know. Did he die? Did, son, did this guy have a heart attack? And, and he's got wrapped. I mean, and plus I have a real life sometimes, occasionally, once in a while. So, so um, but it's been you know we've had we've had uh, people come in and go out and come back in again, and uh, it, and that's something that um, you know, like so, so for example, um, um, Doctor Anonymous is now Mike Sevilla, right? Um, we've come out. And I think uh, in the early days, uh, medical bloggers were very concerned, and bloggers in general probably were concerned about privacy and how people were going to respond to this new medium. And as a result, we tended to cloak ourselves in secrecy. Um, Mike, I, I, I recall there was a time where you kind of decided uh, enough of this and kind of uh, pulled out after uh, an initial um, uh, attempt at a video podcast, and then you decided, you know, kind of, the heck with it. I'm going to keep doing it. I like this, and, and it's been great. Actually, well, it's it was my readers. A psychiatrist, I think. I don't know. Is it weird uh, as a family doc? Do your patients watch you or listen to you? Um, yeah, a little bit more now. Um, actually, I've gotten some opportunities to do some um, traditional media, like local TV um, interviews to talk about general health, and uh, um my patients are, are seeing that and uh, seeing a little bit of my social media stuff. Uh, but it's interesting because cause your blog started maybe about a month or two before mine. And uh, back in 2006, it was the cool thing to be anonymous, um, to not use a real name and that type of thing. And then, um, and, and it's interesting how, you know, how I've evolved um, as far as that goes. But yeah, I was kind of, I was going to ask you guys that. Um, uh, maybe I'll go with, uh, Maybe I'll go with the former Clink. <laughs> um, as far as you know, coming out in, in in this book and 
you know, what, what was it the plan the whole way to use your real names? Were you going to use pen names or false names or, you know, was that ever in the thinking? Yeah, it was, it was generally the thought that uh, starting with the pseudonym would be best, at least until we had our routines down and we had our policies down. We knew what we were going to talk about. We knew what the things that we weren't going to talk about. And we had sort of the ground rules set. And after a while, it's basically, it's similar to a, to a stage name. It's just a convenient shortcut. Um, and now I've come, become rather attached to it. But over the long term, I think it's best just to be very straightforward about what you're doing and to be public about the things you're interested in and want to educate people about. And that's really the reason why I keep doing it. Um, I think a lot of people are curious about forensic psychiatry and about correctional issues, and hopefully that's something that we can provide for people is some background and understanding of what's going on inside the walls. So you're not going to tell them that when we started this, you kept saying to me, you're going to get me fired. You're going to get me fired. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's always always best to be careful. Um, and, and Steve went through, he went through a phase, not only was he Roy, but he was deep cover Roy. He made us swear he wouldn't, we wouldn't tell anybody. And about a year into it, I'm at a dinner where he's sitting at the table with me, and he turns to somebody and says, I have a blog. And I thought, I guess he's not deep cover Roy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, uh, once we once we decide to write a book that actually has our real names on it, uh, yeah, but once we decide to write a book, it was very clear that, uh, and actually even before that, you're right, because we gave a talk at the APA. We gave several, but um, the first talk we gave at the APA, it was about our blog. And once we did that, we realized, okay, I guess, I, I guess we can't play the anonymous charade anymore. <laughs> and I was never, I mean, I was always just Dinah, and my thinking on that was that I tend to, sometimes I'm a little loose anyway, and that being, not having a cover would remind me that this was something that, you know, that I ultimately had ownership for and that I shouldn't say anything stupid. So I felt like for me it was a safety mechanism to have my name attached, that I wouldn't, that it wasn't my diary, it's not a journal that's you know, it, it may have some silliness about ducks, and but you know, ultimately, you don't want to say anything that's going to hurt anybody. You don't want to say anything that's going to offend people. Um, I'm still not so sure about the whole Doctor Phil thing, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I felt I felt like it was safer to have my name attached. Um, I do. I do have a lot of psychiatrists tell me, you know, you're crazy. People, your patients are gonna find this, you're gonna it's gonna cause you problems. And five years later it hasn't caused any problems. But I do think it helps me to, to know I'm me and don't say something that you don't want somebody attached oh. to your name. That's Trying awesome. To I want to, filter, oh, by the way. I want to say uh one thing before I go, sorry to interrupt, but time sure. on the on, on the thing is getting pretty low. Um I just want to say that I'm really glad to see uh, Roy and Clink posting more lately. I've always enjoyed Dinah's posts, but um, I just feel like it's it's gone back to being more the three of you again, and I really enjoy that. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. Um, and sir, I, yeah, sir. Thank you for the feedback. Okay, and yeah, I'm going to go now. No, no, okay. Sarah, Sarah Bear. But, but before, Thanks, Sarah Bear. But before you go, Sarah Bear, uh, so, so you read Dinah's book. Uh, uh, yes, book. I did. Yeah, her her uh, Monday at the Charm. It's it's good. Well, great, great. Good. Yeah, I recommend it to anybody. Uh, you know, for for somebody, the, this is the the book that has a psychiatrist in it who discovers that 
um, her husband is a closet cross-dresser, right? I think so. <laughs> okay. It's been a while since I read it. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, it's been a while since I read it, too. But Anyway, thank you, guys. Thank yeah, you. Sarah, for, 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 for somebody who uh, who was so nervous when you came on, I mean, you did a great job. So, so thank you so much for calling in, and it's great to hear your voice. So thank you so much. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Um, all right. Yeah, yeah that, was, that, was, that was very cool. That was very cool. Uh, let's see. So as we're kind of closing up here, I, I, I did have another social media question, and I'll direct this at, at Steve because I, I, uh, I get this question a lot. Um, so have any of the people that you've treated, um, have they found you on Facebook and, and tried to become your Facebook friend? Um, none. I have not had one instance of that as far as I know. Uh, now keep in mind, um, I do – so I'm not an outpatient psychiatrist and, and so I don't tend to have a relationship that goes runs over a long period of time um, with patients. I'll see them for an episode of care and then that's it. So I don't develop um, a much of a relationship with them outside of that period of time. Um, and so they're probably not inspired to go look me up or figure out who I am or something like that. Um, I do wonder though if that's happened with Dinah. I, I don't actually know if that has but it's a good question for her. Well, people in therapy sessions do talk a lot about Facebook. Um, and it helps that I have a page so I know what they're talking about. Um, no one has ever tried to friend me. Um, I think the only thing that's happened on Facebook that was interesting was that um, um, a former patient whom I haven't seen in a couple of years who spent um, a, a number of years trying to work unsuccessfully on accomplishing a goal in, in treatment um, sent me a Facebook message saying, hey, are you my doctor? Are you the person I, I was seeing? I just want to let you know I accomplished that goal. Um, and I was absolutely thrilled, but I, I did not respond on Facebook. I picked up the phone the next day and called her to tell her how how thrilled and happy I was for her that um, that things had worked out so well. Um, so that was nice, I was going to say. Um, I think the thing that it, it's not happened, if it does happen, the hospital attorneys um, at our risk management sessions every year tell us point blank, do not fund your patients. Um, and so I think that there, there's not any ambiguity there. You know, if somebody friends me, I am left to say I am not allowed to friend you. The hospital attorneys have just put an absolute, you can't do this. Um, it's not something I I can argue with or question. I, I you're left with that. Okay, uh, Mike. I mean, Mike, how, how do you handle that? Um. Yeah. I and uh, I'm, I'm just gonna self plug myself, uh, which I guess is a personal problem. But um, I um, I was actually interviewed by uh, Medical Economics Magazine back in December, um, and they were interviewing docs who use right a lot now. of social media. Uh, and uh, and what, one of the things I talked about was, you know, do do I friend my patients on Facebook? And what I told in the article was, um, and I know it's a little bit dif- different for psychiatry, uh, maybe, uh, but um, you know, uh, doctors and patients have been friends for a long time, even before the internet, even before Facebook. And where I live, I live in a small town um, where everybody kind of knows everybody. 
even when I go to the store or something like that, I see people I know. So, so I am selective of who I friend, um, but I do have patients who I do friend on Facebook, and and I do a lot of speaking on this. And you know, the the, the opinion is across the board. Um, some of them, some docs are like absolutely not. Some docs are like I have no problem with it, and some docs are in the middle. Uh, and there's not really one right answer to that. Um, but yeah, there are, there are issues of concerns of you know, liability and patient privacy and that type of thing. But so that's kind of my stance on it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think you have to be careful about it. And if you're reasonable, um, you have to have a good filter. You have to know what to say, what not to say, when to say something, when not to say something, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, from what I can tell, just from kind of a distance, Mike, um, you've got a you know a, kind of a great thing going on, and um, um, as far as I can tell, it doesn't seem to really cause any problems. If anything, it probably enhances um, the the care that you provide in some levels. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I mean I, I've had some page some new patients who have moved in from out of town and say, hey, we did a Google search and we saw you, and that's why we're here. So that that's been very cool and. Um, I, I did want to give a, a shout out to Crazy Girl, who's in our in our chat room, who's almost listened to the whole show, and I know who's been a, a long time reader and, and uh, uh, commenter on your blog as well. And, and going back to our discussion about um, you know being anonymous or being a real self, uh, Crazy Girl and I have have had a lot of discussions in the past you know couple of weeks actually um, offline as far as you know not being anonymous anymore. She's she's thinking about um, you know doing her own blog with her own name and things. And uh, I, th- I think that's that's kind of the, the, the trend that I'm seeing out there now uh, with people who are using their own name blogging. So I think it's interesting to see versus when um, my blog started and, and your all's blog started. So it's interesting seeing that evolution. Yeah, the, the openness and transparency that is, has become more the norm now, um, regardless of what you do for a living. Uh, let's see. Uh, so uh, I guess before we kind of close up the show, this has been a great show. I, I'm very excited about it. Um, uh, oh, the other thing I want to touch on is that when I did the podcast on your show, I remember when um, Steve sent me an email or a Skype messenger saying, my name is really not Roy. It's actually Steve. Hi. <laughs> so I was like, oh, hi, Steve. Great to, good to meet you. My real name is Mike. <laughs> so that was, uh-huh. that was a funny type of interaction back then. And it's funny because Roy is actually my name. Uh, it's my middle name that I don't go by, really, other than I, what I've done on the show. So it kind of is my name, but it's not my name, so it's kind of weird. I remember when you picked it, you said, I've always wanted a use for my middle name. <laughs> well, that's true. That's right, because, you know, I don't know, a lot of people don't use their middle name, so I found a use for it. And that's why I put it actually on the book, You'll see on the book it says Stephen Roy Davis. And that's for my <laughs> Uncle Roy, by the way, who's no longer with us, but um, uh, a great guy. Um, actually, we have another caller here. This might be the aforementioned uh, crazy girl here. I think. Let's see what this is. Hello, who is this? You are absolutely correct, sir. It is. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Good, good, good. So, crazy girl. So, uh, you're, you're you're a big fan of the the shrink wrap uh, docs here. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Did you do you remember when you first found their blog and and uh, what 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 makes them compelling for for you to continue reading them? Um, it was more of a I'm more of a lurker, but um, yeah, it was grand rounds. I, I will never forget seeing the the iPhone, um, 
graphic pop up, and I thought, oh, my God, this is brilliant, and oh, my God, I can never host Grand Rounds because I can never get this good. <laughs> oh, that is great. I love it, that. Yeah, it, it set the bar pretty high. So. <laughs> well, it, it has because, you know, we haven't done a Grand round since then. Cause we yeah, probably because we don't know how to top it. The clicky brain and the, and the <laughs> iPhone took a bit out of us. I, I don't know how we're going to best that one, but we'll have to figure something out. What's wonderful well, about I, Steve is that he never has time to do anything you want him to do, but he has endless amounts of time for clicky brains and iPhones. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably the ADD, I'm guessing. I, I need one of those for my blog. <laughs> Maybe I should expand and, you know, have other authors as well. Um, actually, Mike, I I kind of outed myself on my blog quite a few years ago. I've been blogging since 2003. Um, oh my! Yeah, I oh, wow. all of us. Yeah, yeah. I I went through and looked at when I uh, last time I renewed my uh, my domain name and was it even surprises me sometimes that I've been at it for so long. Um, but you know, one of the things that we've kind of discussed back and forth is the fact that like you guys touched on it's the um you know the fact that it was kind of cool to be anonymous at first and and no one quite knew where it was going to go when I started blogging you know it was more just an online journal this is who I am and this is what I do but you didn't really mention you know those outlying things and I think right now the trend is going more to a you know some sort of a context or a subject or a niche um, and I'm in the process. I've been crazy girl for a very, very long time, and, and it's funny to hear who calls me that still. Um, but you know, finding finding who your who your um, um, your not your customers, but who your readers are, and, and kind of catering to that. I, I just had a really interesting conversation. And Mike, I'm going to plug myself for a second. <laughs> That's okay. Cool. Um, you know, I. I one of the things I, I've been a nurse for about eight years, and one of the things that I love about seeing, you know, the different aspects of the medical field, you know, getting to know, you know, what you guys do, and, and being able to apply it to my job as a flight nurse. Um, sometimes it's, you know, a little bit on the outstretches of it, but it helps you understand. Um, but I've uh, I just had a conversation with um, one of the directors at large for the Air and Surface Transport Nurses Association, and we've been talking about social media and how to get that conversation going with, you know, with other people across you know across the country and across the world. Like you guys, you know, we've we've all had those readers that pop up, and you're like, holy crap, are they really from you know the Philippines? You know, it's from Vanuatu or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and and that's why I think this is so exciting, and that it's taken a lot of trailblazers to not be anonymous anymore, um, and, and really kind of branch out that way. So it's exciting that you guys are getting all this, you know, the book deal and and pushing it further than than some of us have. We have aspirations. You're just blazing the trail for us. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll be you'll be doing that next. So so I, I, as you're talking, I'm going okay. Let me check that out crazygirl.net it's a slight ems.com mm-hmm. and okay so i've never seen this many letters after a name oh, did I'm you pull up my tv <laughs> yeah nice. nice. emily j bennett comma msn rn aprn bc cfrn cen ccrnonc emtp it means i'm really good at taking tests 
<laughs> Holy moly. That's amazing. Yeah, the the nursing field likes our our specialty uh certifications. Um it was great. I have a trauma surgeon that I work with here in town that I bring patients to and um he knows me as the tattooed flight nurse who brings in patients and you know, we always kind of joke about something whenever we're in there. Um I I was asked to speak at a trauma conference here in in West Michigan and um he asked for my bio. Because he had no idea, and the next time he saw me, he was flabbergasted. <laughs> so it comes in handy once in a while. <laughs> and you've you've written some um, articles and book chapters. It looks like too. Yes, yes, I have on a, a bit smaller scale. All right. Well, you know, have you been thinking about a book? Maybe. I, I have. I have a couple right. in my head. So. It's gonna happen. Yep. Time and opportunity. But as as a wise flight nurse that I work with says, you know, you, you've got to play the game to be able to write about it. So um, I'm plugging away. I'm actually still at work and probably shouldn't be. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad we could help you waste time. Uh, you guys have that. been great. You're an absolute hoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I, I think I missed it. Tell me again when the book comes out. End of May. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say the official yeah. pub date at this point is June first is when it will be in store, so it'll probably okay. be out on Amazon a little earlier. And we're gonna be at APA and we believe the book is gonna be at APA as well. Oh, so that is middle yeah. of May. I'm I, I I'm very I'm in much awe of that accomplishment, there's just something about writing a book and having your name on it and being being able to walk into a store and say, "Look, I did this." I agree. I, I'm in awe that that I somehow was able to do it, and of course, I wouldn't have been able to do any of it without Dinah going uh, pushing, pushing, pushing. So, thank you, Dinah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Ray. That's sweet, or Steve, or whoever you are this week. Um, uh, you know, I mean, our, my phone, the phone would ring in my house and my kids would yell, you better answer it, it might be clink. <laughs> <laughs> I once referred to Roy as Roy and my husband looked at me and said, his name is Steve. But it was that all sort of blend. Um, it, it does. Hey, hey, folks, this has been um, great uh, doing this. I've got to get off the phone and eat some dinner. All right. So, yeah, I think this is time to, to start closing up here. So, Emily, thank you so much for calling in. Hey, and, thank you uh, for taking my call. Great you guys talking. have a good one, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you for having us. This was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it was a good time. So, so, you, so you got. Hopefully, you guys are all prepped for uh, National Public Radio. You're, you're all, you're all set now. So, uh. we, we, we owe whatever success we have to you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks well, for having us. And uh, we look so, forward to your book. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and if I can get that done, but uh, uh, but uh, I, uh, I, yeah, I want to thank all of you for for coming on. I, I hope uh, I hope you bring back the podcast at some point. Um, and, and I remember, I think one of the grand runs was a podcast, which you probably won't do again because uh, uh, you, you tirelessly reviewed every one of the articles, uh, but that was really nice of you guys to do that for that grand rounds, if I recall that correctly. You, you um, do, and we'll probably do it again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the book is called uh, Shrink Wrap. Three psychiatrists uh, explain their work, and uh, you can go to their blog, and uh, you can go there on Facebook. You can pre-order on uh, Amazon. 
so uh, Dinah and Ann and Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this was so much fun. Um, and uh, good best of luck uh, with the book. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. It's been uh, great being on your show. Great, great. Cool, cool. Well, uh, thank you so much. Uh, take care, and uh, we'll uh, – we'll, I'm going to listen to you when uh, the Talk of the Nation comes out. So thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, kids. So that uh, that ends my show here uh, this evening. So uh, wow, I can't believe it's almost been two hours here. So I, I do want to thank my guests uh, again for uh, coming on the show, uh, Diana Miller, Anne Hansen, Stephen Roy Davis, and uh, their book is called Shrink Wrap: uh, Three Psychiatrists uh, Explain Their Work. And uh, let me get their. Uh, I think it's facebook.com slash shrinkwrapbook, I think is their Facebook uh, link for those of you uh, listening later. Um, and uh, I think that's it for, for us uh, this evening. So uh, next week, uh, author uh, Chip Teal, family physician, uh, is going to be uh, coming on the show. And uh, his book is called Alone and Invisible, um, Averting Disaster in Aging America. We're going to have a good health policy discussion as far as taking care of um, older people here in America. That's going to be one week from today on April 21st, uh, 2011. I believe that will be at 8 p.m. Eastern uh, Daylight Time. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening, listening live, or if you're listening later on the podcast. Uh, yeah, hey, this is fun. <laughs> this is nothing like uh, live radio. So uh, uh, th- thanks uh, to Sarah Bear. Thanks to Emily uh, for uh, calling in the show here uh, this evening. My name is Mike Savilla. This is the Family Medicine Rocks uh, podcast, familymedicinerocks.com. And that's all I have for you here this evening. Hey, look out, Columbus. I'm coming tomorrow to talk about medicine and social media. And uh, I will see you on my blog slash website, familymedicinerocks.com. Thank you so much, everybody. Good night.
Go ahead, release your fears. My- 